The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to the Roto World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short, and I'm joined here by Drew Silva. How's it going, Drew? Good, man. We've we've got like a, a f- almost a full week of grapefruit league and cactus league games to to overreact to. I think Yairo Munoz is my leader for National League MVP, <laughs> and I think Madison Bumgarner is just done. <laughs> right. Yeah. Early takeaways. That'll, there you go, do folks. It for the podcast. <laughs> okay. We'll see you next week. Uh, well, we're we're done with our rankings episodes, and uh, we're moving on to spring training storylines, and and we're also breaking down a mixed league mock draft today. So if you missed our rankings episodes, we went position by position, kind of going over the top tier guys value picks, busts, prospects, that sort of thing. So if you want a refresher as you get ready for your fantasy drafts, go back in our archives and check that stuff out. Uh, It's still really timely information. We hope it remains timely during spring training. If you want even more in-depth draft prep, check out the Roto-World Baseball Draft Guide. The magazine's out in stores now, but there's also the online version, uh, which will be constantly updated through spring training with all the latest transactions, injuries, position battle winners, stuff like that. Uh, the online guide is loaded with everything you need to get ready, ready for draft day. There's projections, detailed player profiles, average draft position data, articles on sleepers, busts, our top 100 prospects, mock draft analysis, much, much more. Go to rotoworld.com to check that out. All right, so we're going to start out, start out here with spring training storylines before getting into the mock draft analysis. I thought I'd start it out here quickly with a, sort of an unexpected return. Tim Lincecum is back in Major League Baseball. I'm excited. One year, $1 million deal with the Texas Rangers pending a physical. Uh, it seems he passed over an offer from the Dodgers, which would have been pretty interesting. Uh, but anyway, it seems Lincecum could be thrown into that bullpen mix with Texas and maybe even the closer situation. It's sort of wide open at the moment there in Texas. Uh, Alex Claudio, uh, Keona Kella, uh, Jake Diekman, guys like that. So uh, Lincecum c- could have a chance to take away that job. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's kind of open. I mean, Claudio is probably the front runner right now. Had good numbers last year, but more of a ground ball guy, a guy you'd rather probably have in like a, a setup role, someone that comes in in the middle of the eighth or seventh inning. It has a, a 6.0 K per nine of the last two seasons. Kella you know, has a more closer-like arsenal, but through just eight innings in the second half last year because of a shoulder injury, we know how shoulder injuries like to linger. Um, so it's it's open. I would probably bet against it happening. I mean, with Lincecum, I'm rooting for it because it's a cool story. Um, former back-to-back Cy Young Award winner in the National League, but 
I think people forget that his final four seasons in San Francisco weren't very good. Um, he hasn't really been good since 2011. Um, and so even though he does have some velocity back, I, I just, I'm not really optimistic. Um, I remember, you remember the 2012 postseason? He was coming out of the bullpen for the Giants and he was awesome. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. everyone saying after that, like, he needs to be in the bullpen. May, not even necessarily as a closer, but just in sort of that relief ace role that sort of has grown into prominence over the past couple of years. This was sort of predating that. And for some reason, the Giants didn't go that way. He, he continued to be below average as a starting pitcher. But it's something that should have happened. Obviously, the 2012 postseason is a very long time ago. Tim Lincecum's 33 years old now. He didn't pitch in the majors at all last year. He was flat out awful with the Angels. Uh, his last stint in the majors in 2016. So I think there's definitely reason to be skeptical. But I'm excited to see him coming back. And as you said, I'm rooting for it. Uh, I think baseball is more fun when he when Lincecum's good. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens in this sort of this third act for his career. Um, but as far as fantasy leagues are concerned, probably nothing more than late round flyer right now in a deeper mixed league. Um, but fortunately, I think most fantasy owners have some time to see how this situation shakes out. We, had, we haven't even seen Lincecum pitch in a game yet. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, ideally you draft on like the final weekend of spring training and, and you have an idea of what every bullpen is going to look like. I mean, in our draft guide, we have a closer report where we detail every single bullpen in the majors and you know, we, we go into detail about setup guys, guys that might be next in line. So, I mean, definitely keep an eye on the Rangers. That's that's one bullpen that we're probably not going to know the answer to until closer to the end of March. I should say Tim Lincecum and Bartolo Colon is the buddy comedy we didn't know we needed. The freak uh, nasty. Yeah. The freak nasty Rangers. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that should be fun. Uh, moving on to one of the other big stories in recent days, and that's the debut of Shohei Otani, both on the pitcher side and the hitter side with the Angels. Of course, all the hype associated with him, but now he's playing in games. Uh, obviously, a small sample so far, but what are some of your early takeaways from what you've seen and heard? Yep, uh, yeah, re- really got our first close-up look at him um both pitcher and hitter over the last week made his north american pitching debut well unofficial north american pitching debut on saturday in a cactus league game against the brewers allowed two runs one earned and one and a third innings had some issues with his command but you know all of that's to be expected in a late february spring training start i was impressed with his arsenal or at least what he showed of it hit 95 miles an hour with his fastball Dropped in a sweet 69-mile-an-hour curveball at one point. Threw some other nasty off-speed stuff. Um, got a swing strikeout on a pitch that completely dropped off the table. That might have been the curve. Um, also recorded a strikeout looking on his fastball that was a pitch that looked high but then had some wicked downward movement. He throws hard, but it, those fastballs also have movement. Um, Martin Maldonado on that pitch, you know, he was last year's Gold Glove winner at catcher in the American League, did a pretty nice job of framing it. But still looked really strong. Um, Otani's next pitching appearance will come in a B game on Friday against a group of Brewers minor leaguers. Those are almost always played on backfields, but the Brewers are actually going to host it at their main spring training stadium in in Maryvale, Arizona, just to give you an idea of the hype surrounding Otani. Um, Otani also made his hitting debut this week at DH. Uh, The Angels have already said he won't play the outfield for them, at least not in the first year. They're not going to try that. 
Um, went one for one with two walks and an RBI single on Monday, and then 0 for 3 with a strikeout on Tuesday. Uh, showed good patience in those first plate appearances on Monday. Fell behind 0 and 2 in his very first at bat before working a walk. He had a 411 on base percentage in his final two seasons in Japan. Um, dis- disciplined, polished hitter. Uh, maybe we see him at leadoff at various points this season in, in Anaheim. He, he does run well. Um, could obviously be hugely valuable for like daily fantasy purposes. He's hit some bombs in batting practice. Um, if you follow the Angels beat writers, um, they all rave about his, his his BP shows. I think we'll see that power in, the, in a Cactus League game at some point. Um, I still worry about how the Major League schedule is going to affect him. It's way more intensive than the one in Japan, like we talked about in, in our starting pitching rankings episode of this podcast. More games, more travel, far, much farther travel. Um, but he's an impressive-looking athlete, very fit, lanky, built 23-year-old. Yeah, very um, lanky. That's the thing that stood out to me. He was like yeah, really he's, he's arms tall. and legs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously a very like uniquely talented athlete. Um, I, I, I like I totally buy into the hype. We I think we both like him more as a pitcher than a hitter in season long fantasy leagues. Probably an obvious point. Um, he'll probably get two days off after every start he makes as a pitcher, just based on what the Angels have have done so far. Um, and then hit for two days and then prep for his next start is is kind of the schedule that I'm, I'm guessing. You know, so five days rest rest in quotation marks um as opposed to the normal four for a starting pitcher but we'll see man i, I mean it's still a pretty big mystery to me i like what i've seen so far i'm, I'm excited to watch him play throughout the year but i, I doubt I'll, I'll wind up with him in any league as we've talked as we talked about in our starting pitching podcast i i just i try to be risk averse at the point in drafts where he's being selected so maybe i'll, I'll miss the boat on him but i don't know are, are you are you taking him in any leagues I mean, I think we'll get into a little bit later. We'll talk about the mock draft and and talk about where he went and the pitchers he was sort of surrounded by. I think it depends on, you know, the format that you play, uh, where if you do get his stats for when he's hitting, I think that's a nice little bonus that could make me a little bit intrigued. Um, But I think generally you're drafting him for what he can do as a pitcher and anything you're getting as a hitter is sort of a bonus. Um, Something that I don't know if we talked about yet the Angels are lowering their right field fence. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Um, yeah. And their their lineup is extremely right-handed heavy. Um, I believe their regular lineup, Cole Calhoun, is the only left-handed batter. But, of course, Otani is also a left-handed batter. I think they're lowering it from 16 feet to 8 feet, something like that. Um, they're cutting it in half, essentially. Um, but I can't remember the exact number. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that could certainly help Otani when he's hitting but it could hurt him when he's pitching so uh that's an interesting uh dynamic maybe we'll make that stadium slightly less you know pitcher friendly than we've seen in the past but i think i'm with you generally i I think he's probably not someone i'm going to end up drafting i think the hype's going to make him a little higher than i'm comfortable with and to me it just comes down to how many innings he's going to throw and i don't think it's going to be enough to to make it worth generally where he's being picked right now right i agree yeah so we're going to shift gears here to some notable injuries around the game. We've already had a few of them, the most significant of which is Yuli Gurriel with the Astros. He left the team on Tuesday to be evaluated for pain in his hand. And it turns out he required hammock bone surgery on his left hand. Astro general manager Jeff Lunau estimates he'll be out about five to six weeks. So we're probably looking around mid-April, something like that. 
And remember, Gurriel was already set to serve a five-game suspension uh, to start the season for an insensitive gesture he made toward Hugh Darvish during the World Series. Um, so that suspension will begin after he's activated from the DL. So maybe we're looking somewhere in mid to late April, something like that. And you also have to wonder what sort of impact the surgery will have on his power upon his return. And that's a, a big deal for someone like Gurriel, who hasn't shown a ton of power since being in the majors, has 21 homers over 175 games in the majors, makes excellent contact, likely to hit for average. He's in a great situation fantasy-wise. But when you think in the context of corner infielders, first baseman, he really doesn't hang there. So I'm really interested to see about the power uh, with him. Now, it looks like Marwin Gonzalez is probably the most likely option to pick up the most time at first base, but the Astros really value his ability to play multiple positions. So we'll see a mix of guys used there, used there during spring training. A.J. Reed, former top prospect. Everybody's probably already familiar with him, but also Tyler White, J.D. Davis, guys like that. Um, so one of them should make the team and kind of be a backup there. Uh, the injury also has an impact on Derek Fisher, who should mm-hmm. have an opportunity in left field, pick up some more at-bats, at least early on. I'm excited about Fisher, at least to start the season. If he starts the year hot, I think he could stick, and we could kind of see more of a rotation between the outfield, DH, and first base. So I think it's an interesting scenario. Yeah, man. Fisher batted 318 with a 967 OPS, 21 home runs, and 16 stolen bases in only 84 games last season at AAA Fresno. Um, just a really intriguing fantasy prospect at 24 years old. And this could be the thing that opens the door for him. Like you said, if he gets off to a great start, you know, they the, the Astros have a lot of moving parts and, and they can find a lot of playing time for him. And, and yeah, maybe Gurriel, you know, starts working at more of the DH role, a little bit of first base. Tyler White, AJ Reed, JD Davis are, are all intriguing sluggers too. Um, I don't know that this raises their fantasy stock enough because of, you know, the options they have with their interchangeable parts. But um, yeah, Fisher is a guy who I think if you just take him like in, in one of the final few rounds of a mixed league draft, you might, that might pay off in a big way. Agreed. Agreed. So uh, two pitching situations to watch, one kind of more troubling than the other, I think. First, Marcus Stroman with the Blue Jays. Uh, he's been dealing with shoulder inflammation. Uh, no structural damage was found, but he was shut down after a live batting practice session last week. Uh, and the, dis- the discomfort is apparently dated back uh, until January, uh, back to January. So uh, the hope is he can resume throwing soon, but that's no guarantee. And remember, we're just about 30 days out from opening day. It's, it's already sneaking up on us. So the clock is working against him at this point to get stretched out in time. And the Blue Jays certainly aren't going to push him to get there just for the first week of the season. Um, so I'd say it's probably unlikely he starts the season on time. Um, hopefully it's just a bit of a late start, but we'll kind of have to see. Uh, the same kind of goes for Jacob deGrom, although it doesn't appear as, ser- as serious. Um, he's dealing with some lower back stiffness, but he was able to throw a modified side session on Wednesday, sort of off the slope of the mound. So he's at least throwing and moving in the right direction. But it's kind of one of those things where we're just going to have to see how the calendar works out. Maybe it's not opening day, but he's someone who could be there the first week of the season, something like that. So I think it's a lot more promising with DeGrom than, than Stroman at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like not even worried about DeGrom anymore. No. You know, he, he threw on Wednesday morning and, and was fine, and, and it's a, just a back thing. I think the, the reason people freaked out is that Mets, the new Mets manager, Mickey Calloway, you know, said on Tuesday, oh, he's, he's probably not going to be ready for opening day. 
and that just freaks people out. But yeah. it's it's just because he's a little bit delayed. I mean, he, he might pitch later in that opening series against the Cardinals. He might pitch in the next series against the Phillies. I, I think maybe if he only misses, you know, at most he might miss like the first week of the regular season, but it doesn't diminish his fantasy stock at all for me. With, with Stroman, um, I feel like he's getting overdrafted a bit this year in leagues. I mean, especially with the shoulder thing, shoulder injuries just scare me because they seem to just never go away. But also, you know, he had a low ERA last year, but the peripherals weren't great. Has never been a big strikeout guy. Pitches in a bad home park. Um, you know, he's young and, and he's posted, you know, decent numbers in the past, kind of an up and down career, but the strikeouts really just have never been there. Um, and so I, I don't know. I'm not really that high on him. In the the mock drafts we've done, I haven't done a real draft, but I I haven't wound up with Stroman. I did Um, take him in the mock draft we did earlier this week, predating sort of the freak out about any sort of injury. Um, But I'd probably be a bit more cautious about drafting him at this point. Um, But hopefully it's one of those things that we forget about and he gets back on track and everything's fine. But um, certainly something to watch as we move along here. Yeah, um, I'll run us through a couple other injury updates real quick. Uh, Felix Hernandez took a comebacker off his upper right forearm during his Cactus League debut Monday against the Cubs. Um, he was in extreme pain, holding his right arm limp as he walked off the field, but thankfully the x-rays turned up negative for any fractures. He'll need treatment for a bad bruise, and I think this could put him a week or two behind the other starters in Mariners camp, possibly... Uh, opens the season on the disabled list. You know, they have that 10-day DL now, and they can backdate it um, so that he'll only miss, you know, maybe even just one turn in the rotation. But I, I guess it's a little too early to make that estimate and and make sure that his, his arm is going to be fine. Um, in our pitcher rankings podcast, I listed King Felix as one of my busts for the 2018 season. Still pretty down on him. This forearm issue doesn't really affect my opinion one way or the other. Um, had just had a 4.36 ERA in 16 starts last season. His fastball averaged 90.5 miles an hour for a guy who used to average 94.95. A lot of wear on the arm uh, turns 32 in April. I just think there are a lot of red flags that have nothing to do with you know this this one little incident in camp. Um, Clint Frazier, uh, the Yankees outfielder, suffered a concussion while trying to make a leaping catch last weekend and said he felt fogginess after attempting to hit in the cage in Yankees camp on Tuesday. Said he can't even sit comfortably in a dark room, constant headaches. Um, It's a pretty scary situation, though. Just before we started recording, um, he told reporters that he did take 25 dry swings on on Wednesday afternoon. Um, And Russell Wilson, the Seahawks quarterback, is in camp with the Yankees um, after the the Yankees acquired the rights to him in in an off just a kind of silly PR offseason trade with the Rangers and and Wilson told him you know drink more water and gave him some advice about how to battle I mean I guess he would know yeah yeah you would think so right um he's got plenty of brain damage as an NFL player um but so I don't I don't know it sounds like he'll be fine for opening day even if he he sits out some some workouts for the next week Though, you know, he's he's pretty buried on the Yankees outfield depth chart, probably ticketed for AAA when, when the team breaks camp. Yeah, probably. Um, should be an exciting power speed guy at some point when, when the path to regular playing time opens up for him in the Bronx. Could o- be only twenty. Yep, yeah, yeah, that's true, too. You know, only 23 years old, doesn't turn 24 until September. Um, yeah, he could wind up somewhere. 
Uh, I, I don't know what the Yankees' needs would be. I guess a starting pitcher. Yeah, that's what but, I, th- I thought this offseason they'd trade him for a pitcher. It didn't happen. I still think it has a pretty decent chance to happen. There's just not a clear path coming up for him really anytime soon. And it's unfortunate because I, I think he's a pretty exciting prospect. So hopefully he gets back on the field, feels good, and gets off to a productive start, whether it's AAA or on the bench. I think it's more likely AAA, though. Yeah, they so. probably spent too much time trying to trade Jacoby Ellsbury, but nobody wanted <laughs> good, that contract. Good luck with that. So yeah. uh, we had a couple of signings early this week, uh, if you want to get into that. Yeah, the the Twins finalized their one-year $6.5 million contract with Logan Morrison on Wednesday. It was originally reported on Monday. Um, the deal also includes a vesting-slash-club option for 2019. We don't have the exact framework of that option yet. Uh, but I, I love this fit. Uh, Morrison had a career-high 868 OPS with 38 home runs in 149 games last year with the Rays. Uh, a proud member of the fly ball revolution in baseball. Um, and his road splits away from pitcher-friendly Tropicana Field were especially great. Uh, an OPS in the thousands hit 27 of his 38 homers on the road. I think a power bat on the cheap added to a, a Twids lineup that already looked pretty dynamic is, is just a great find for Minnesota. He'll DH... Uh, hit near the heart of the order. There's talk of probably cleanup, maybe hitting third while Miguel Sano serves a possible domestic or sexual assault suspension. We still don't really know what's going on there. Um, but I think he'll be able to get Morrison in, in the later rounds of mixed league drafts. And, and I think there's some pretty big value potential there with RBIs and homers. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned Morrison in our, our first base rankings episode a couple of weeks back. And uh, I liked him as a sort of a deep round value as well. I mean, hit 38 homers last year. And as you said, made the changes to kind of back up that power. I really like the Twins lineup. I think it's still somehow underrated uh, yeah. nationally. Uh, so I think it could be a really interesting deep round guy. Even if the batting average isn't that great, I think he'll be there from a power perspective. Yeah, By- Brian Dozier, Byron Buxton. I think we're both high on Eddie Rosario, yep. Max Kepler. Like they, they're going to be pretty good. You know, if if they could have done a little bit better, spend a little more money on the pitching side. But I still I, well, hope I, they could get an Alex Cobb or or something like that. I mean, yeah. they they need it. They need it. Yeah, and then they could be like really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucas Duda was was the other one signed a, a one year three point five million dollar contract with the Royals on Wednesday. So yeah, you know, finally some movement with these first base DH types that just have not found fruitful markets over the last few off seasons. Um, teams just don't value those guys you know, as much as they did. Now that they're all using defensive metrics and, and all, all sorts of analytics. Um, also, Mike Napoli officially signed his minor league contract with the Indians, though I don't really think that's too fantasy relevant. He'll probably just be a bench bat. Did slug 29 home runs last year with the Rangers, but I, I just don't think he'll get enough playing time. I almost feel like Napoli is sort of uh, like Francona is, I think I even maybe saw something about this, that uh, he doesn't necessarily have a fit for him on the roster, but he felt <laughs> like he wanted to do a favor for him to kind of have a showcase in games and if he ends up signing somewhere else and doesn't make the team, then, you know, whatever, that's fine. But he wanted to give him a place to play, at least during spring training. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, they just they don't even really have a spot for him in that no. first base DH mix. So, yeah, maybe they, like, dump him around late March, but he, he hit some homers, you know, in the Cactus League, so some other team latches on. That would make sense. Uh, with, with Duda, I think you can expect him to get something close to everyday playing time between first base and DH while, while the big rebuild gets underway in Kansas city. He'll sit against some left-handers um, like he should, but 
had an 18, 818 OPS in 127 games last season between the Mets and Rays. Tied his career high with 30 home runs. Kauffman Stadium isn't a great place for power, but uh, maybe some very deep league value there. Yeah, I actually tweeted this out after the Eric Cosmer signing, and it got a lot of people mad, and that's fine. Uh, it's Twitter. Um, anyway, I, I put that Eric Cosmer has a, a 111 OPS plus in his career. Uh, Lucas Dudas is 120. Uh, so that's really entertaining to me for some reason. What about, what about the intangibles, DJ? <laughs> I'm saying Duda should have gotten a $150 million contract is what I'm saying. I like <laughs> You are a Mets fan. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not saying he's a better player, deserves a huge contract or anything, but he's always been an underappreciated hitter. I think it's because there's so many ups and downs with him. He can get super streaky. He can hit six home runs in a week and then not get a hit for a week. That's just kind of who he is. Um, but the path is clear there in Kansas City for at-bats. So, as you said, I think you can be a nice option in deeper formats, but not not a make-or-break guy by any means. Um, so I want to get into some early names to watch from spring training. We obviously don't have much data at this point, only a few games, but maybe some guys you wanted to track coming into the spring and are doing well so far, that kind of thing. So I want to get us started with another Royal, and that's Jorge Soler. Of course, came over to the Royals in the Wade Davis deal with the Cubs last offseason. Davis thrived with the Cubs, but Soler was a disappointment, at least during his time in the majors last year. However, I think there's reason to be optimistic. Uh, he lost 20 pounds during the offseason by improving his diet. He also retooled his swing, worked on his timing with a private hitting coach. Uh, we saw him hit two homers in Tuesday's game against the Mariners. Uh, Royals manager Ned Yost said earlier this week that he wants him to get 500-plus at-bats this season. Remember, this is a rebuilding team. Uh, so this is uh, basically like a sink-or-swim moment for Soler, who was a re- really highly touted player when he came up to the majors with the Cubs, showed some nice potential uh, initially, and then kind of really faded away. His stock has certainly declined. But um, as far as like a deep mix league, and, and maybe it's a five-outfielder format, you have multiple utility spots, why not take a chance on him? I think, at least from a power perspective, he could be really interesting, but he could be a lot more than that, too. Yeah, whenever I like tweet about um, some guy doing something in spring training, like, oh, he's he's hitting 400 so far, people are like, oh, don't overreact to spring training. And I'm like, I'm not really doing that. I'm just calling attention to the guy, giving a reason to talk about him. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I think give us the benefit of the doubt that we're not stupid. Like we're not, <laughs> you know, saying, Oh, this guy's going to have a breakout just because he's hitting 400 in the grapefruit league. Yep. Um, but on that note, <laughs> you know, Ryan McMahon uh, is hitting is 400. Per- <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's hitting 500. DJ. <laughs> he's, he's six for 12. So far. This Might be spring. sustainable. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but you know he's he's kind of in a in a prove it zone to lock up the Rockies starting first base gig. Um, there's been speculation that the Rockies might sign a first baseman off of what remains on the free agent market, but Logan Morrison, Lucas Duda, and Mike Napoli are all off the board now, as we talked about, and it doesn't appear they're gonna try for another go round with Mark Reynolds. Um, so if the job does go to McMahon, or or even if they're sort of like a rotation platoon with Ian Desmond and Pat Vileka. I think there's some big-time fantasy upside there. Uh, McMahon can also play third base if the Rockies want to get Nolan or, or Arenado a little more rest. He's been a bit of an Iron Man over the last few years. Um, McMahon's 23 years old, batted 355 with a 986 OPS, 20 home runs, 88 RBIs, 11 stolen bases in 109 games, 119 games last season between AA and AAA. 
Obviously, you have the Coors field effect. His average draft position right now is in the 300s, uh, which means he's going undrafted in a lot of standard mixed leagues. So I think a guy to keep an eye on, no matter what he's doing in spring training. <laughs> yeah, I actually but, took McMahon a little later in our, our mixed mock draft, which we'll, we'll get into in a little bit. Sort of as a late-round flyer. Um, I mean, it's Coors Field. I mean, you have to love it. So, uh, hey, I, I hope it happens. Uh, but the Rockies do have a lot of moving pieces. And as you said, Mark Reynolds still out there. Carlos Gonzalez still out there, too, uh, which is weird. We'll see where he ends up. Uh, but the opportunity is there for McMahon. We'll see if he, if he runs with it. Um, Ian Happ is, is another guy who's off to a pretty good start. Um, we talked him up a bit in our, at, at, towards the end of our outfield rankings podcast. Uh, doesn't really have a dedicated starting position with the Cubs, but he's an injury away from that happening. And, and Cubs manager Joe Madden did a good job moving him around last season. He's pretty versatile defensively uh, and a switch hitter, which makes that all kind of easier to fit him into different spots in the lineup and and, and on the diamond, appeared at second base, left field, right field, third base in, in 2017. We'll have multi-position eligibility in a lot of fantasy formats for 2018. Put up an 842 OPS with 24 home runs in 115 games last year. Not all of those starts. Um, also stole eight bases, has some speed. Like I said, already has two home runs so far this spring. One of them was off Madison Bumgarner, who I, who I declared done at the top of the show. <laughs> Um, Hap might never hit for much average, but I think the power is for real. Yeah, I'm into Hap as well. And you look at Ben Zobrist, who had a bad year, uh, should kind of have more of a diminished role uh, this season. I think there'll be openings for Hap. I mean, Jason Hayward uh, hasn't been great with the bat, obviously, since signing with the Cubs. So, uh, and we know Joe, Joe Madden likes to mix and match, guys. I think Hap is, is going to be in there fairly regularly, but it's one of those situations you're just going to have to watch the lineup card on, on a daily basis. Um, I want to mention Noah Syndergaard, and this is really all I have to say about him. Okay, He threw 22 pitches, <laughs> 22 pitches in his, his first start Monday against the Astros. 11 of them exceeded 100 miles per hour. Um, that's that's not bad. It's pretty good. The velocity should pick up as spring training moves along, so <laughs> don't be alarmed. Um, but Hey, I mean, he looks like he's healthy. He's feeling good. Whether he can continue to stay healthy. We'll see. I mean, anybody who throws that hard, you get, get nervous naturally, but I had him as my number five starting pitcher last week when we did our rankings. And I, I feel pretty safe about that right now. Yeah. Like, like we talked about on our pitcher rankings podcast, he's just a guy you want to, you don't want to bet against. Um, he's just, he's just a huge animal. Shirtless Um, Noah Syndergaard. (laughs) Yeah. He did his post game. (laughs) Meeting with the media shirtless. I mean, he's just he's awesome, and and he's like he has that kind of attitude where he's going to prove that he's still he's still the man. Yep. Um, Michael Kopech is another guy I wanted to touch on. Had an excellent Cactus League debut on Monday against the Cubs, striking out three batters over two shutout innings. With the first batter he faced on four fastballs clocked between 97 and 101 miles an hour. Um, he's you know, the big, the White Sox, one of their big pitching prospects, 21 years old, I think on track to make his major league debut around the middle of the 2018 season, maybe, maybe a little before then, like early June, perhaps, maybe even late May, um, has a 2.74 ERA and 344 strikeouts and 269 minor league innings, finished the, two, the 2017 with a little spell at AAA Charlotte. Um, a good draft day stash, I think, if you're in a fairly deeper league. I got I got him in the 22nd round of the 
23 round mock draft that we conducted this week for the draft guide, which I think we're going to talk about right now. Yep. You know, what's funny about Kopech is he, he's often compared to Syndergaard, um, mm-hmm. has that kind of upside. So uh, if you have some roster flexibility in a deeper league, maybe a keeper format, you want to get out, get out in front on it, I think uh, he's someone you want to grab. Uh, definitely someone to be excited about. So like you said, we have a little bit of time left to talk about this mixed mock we did earlier this week. We're not giving away every pick, though. So if you want full analysis of everything, get the online version of the Roto World Draft Guide. And by the way, if you tr- if you purchase the online guide, you'll have a chance to enter a contest to play against myself, Matthew, Matthew Pouliot, Roto Pat, who you might know better from the football side. Anyway, we're doing a live stream of a mock draft next month from the NBC Sports Studios. You'll be able to watch on Facebook Live and the NBC Sports app. So if you win, you'll be able to draft against us. So it should be a fun exercise as we get ready for the season. If you purchase the online version of the draft guide and are interested in participating, email draftwithrw at gmail.com. Again, that's draftwithrw at gmail.com. So back to this mock draft from earlier this week. Drew, you wrote up the review of the draft for the online version of the guide. There was also a version on the free site, which kind of gave away all the picks, but without the the analysis. Um, do you want to set things up here with this draft? And then we'll get into individual strategy, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think a lot of the stuff that we would talk about with it, we've kind of covered on our rankings podcast, guys we like at different positions. But in terms of like overall strategy, um, I found myself going more aggressive after pitchers than I think I ever have in the past since I started playing fantasy baseball in like seventh grade. Um, and I, I think it's just, it's changing with the times. I mean, offense is up in major league baseball. Um, so I think you can get good hitters late. Um, and it's harder to find like good middle tier, middle tier starters. So just speaking from what I did, I went with Steven Strasburg at the top of the third round I got Robbie Ray at the top of the fifth round. Love him with with the humidor coming to Chase Field. Posted huge numbers even without the humidor last year, um, just dripping with upside. And then I went with James Paxton at the top of the seventh round. So I I drafted three what I would call potential aces within the first seven rounds. And that's just not something I would have done. I usually like to grab like one top tier pitcher um, and then really just focus on bats for a while. Right. Um, I, I don't know. What, what was your kind of general strategy? My strategy going in was to get one of the top four starting pitchers. Uh, so Kershaw, Scherzer, Kluber, Sale. I ended up with Kluber. Um, and then two of the top ten starters. So kind of a similar idea as you had. I ended mm-hmm. up with Carlos Carrasco as my second starter. Uh, and then get one of the big three speed options. So, um, you know, it's obvious who those guys are. Trey Turner, uh, Billy Hamilton, D. Gordon. I ended up with Billy Hamilton. Um, and then after getting Hamilton, I tried to augment my lineup with power. Um, and I think I was mostly successful in doing that. Um, I project my entire starting infield to everyone to at least have 20 home runs. Um, aside from uh, Hamilton in my outfield, I had Upton, Schwarber, Braun, Jay Bruce. Um, so, you know, 20 plus with those guys, maybe maybe more, maybe 30 plus with Upton, Schwarber, Bruce potentially. Um, and as I said earlier, I took Ryan McMahon, kind of a late round guy who has some promise as a slugger. I had Wilson Ramos as my catcher. I think he can hit 15 plus homers if he stays healthy. Um, so I felt pretty good about my team all around that obviously Hamilton's one of those guys. And I think I said it in the, in the chat during the draft, like (laughs) I feel really smart 
for like five seconds after I take him. And then I hate my team really, really quickly <laughs> yeah. um, because he brings you down in so many other areas. So you really have to to balance your, your roster out after taking someone like Billy Hamilton. So I really, really tried to, to add power where I could, or at least as many spots as possible. Yeah, I went pretty hard after speed in, in the middle rounds more than I think I have in the past too, because that's also down around the league. I, mean, I got Whit Merrifield, um, where was that, in the, in the sixth round, then Manuel Margot in the 12th round, and then Bradley Zimmer at the end of the 14th round. Um, so I, yeah, I think that's something to keep an eye out. I mean, pow- you can get power really, really late. Um, and I don't know, are, are there some like individual picks that, that you, that, that stood out to you? There were a I, lot I really, of... I, re- I really liked your Wilson Ramos pick, by the way. He's, he's who I wanted. I was going to um, try to go in early and get a catcher. That's another thing I was thinking, like, I want to get one of the top three catchers, uh, Sanchez, uh, Contreras, Real Muno, or, or Posey, so kind of top four, but they fell off a lot earlier than I was expecting. This was a single catcher draft, by the way, so yeah. I thought I could wait a little bit, but it really didn't turn out that way, so Ramos kind of in that second tier of catchers, but I still felt good about the way he finished the year last year, so I like that one at least. I think once you get past, and we mentioned this in our catcher podcast, once you get past maybe the top seven or eight options at catcher, it gets really dicey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I wound up with Yadier Molina towards the end of the draft and, you know, he was relevant last year, but I, I just, I wouldn't, like we talked about in the catcher podcast, I just, I wouldn't pay for the 18 homers and, and 82 RBIs he hit last year. Um, I think Greg Bird at 143rd overall. Um, was maybe my favorite pick of the draft. I forget who did it. I think it was Ryan, um, Ryan Boyer. Yeah. Um, just, I, I guess I just lost track of him, but you know, he's going to hit fifth, maybe even clean up sometimes. And that Yankees lineup showed tremendous power down the stretch last season. We talked him up a lot on our, on our first base rankings. Yeah. There were a lot of middle round picks that I liked. Uh, I liked your Manuel Margot pick. I liked bird. Uh, I liked Eddie Rosario who we mentioned at one forty eight in the draft so really a mid to late round kind of guy I got Kyle Schwarber at 155 uh, which I really liked I mean he's he looks like a totally different person uh, in Cubs camp right now whether that has any impact on his power I really have no idea Uh, but you look at what he did after coming back from the minors last year uh, I think it's really promising I think he'll at least be there uh, from a power perspective so I was psyched to get him that late two guys I wanted to mention uh, where they were drafted. Shohei Otani went 75th overall. Uh, so right in the range of Aaron Nola, Jose Quintana, James Paxton, Dallas Keuchel. So that's kind of what I wanted to put into context. That's a really high price to pay for someone who's never pitched in the majors before, has never really had a major workload uh, from an innings perspective either. So that's kind of why I'm a little hesitant to go for him. I think if you're in a league where, or if you're in a drafting uh, in a format where he, you can use him both as a pitcher and a hitter, maybe there's a little bonus there, but uh, I think that's a little rich for my taste. Yeah, I just can't do it. I can't do it. Um, relief pitchers or closers, um, to put it in better fantasy terms, I think we were all pretty aggressive on them, um, which is you know kind of different from draft to draft. It's like once you start, Seeing closers go, you not you know you got to get one or two and, and maybe even three. Um, I was happy to get Edwin Diaz at the top of the ninth round. Um, talked about him in in, a, in our relief rankings portion of that pitcher podcast. You know, hit a rough patch at one point last season, but 
a huge strikeout rate through his first 117 major league innings. And I expect the, I expect the ERA to be better this year. Um, I have him as my third closer on my personal rankings, just behind Jansen and Kimbrell. I think also um, there was a round, and let me try to find it, where yeah, Brandon Morrow and, and Sean Doolittle both went in the 14th round. And, yeah, and I got was after, Yeah, and that was after a, a lot of closers were off the board. Um, so there's some, those are two of my favorite middle, middle to lower tier closers. They have the numbers, maybe not the huge strikeout rates that you get from, from, you know, some higher round guys, but they're on really good teams. You expect them them to have a lot of save opportunities. Uh, In the last round, I got Kyle Bearclaw with the Marlins. Um, probably not going to be the closer for the Marlins to begin the year. Brad Ziegler looks like he'll be that guy, but, um, you know, he's, he's older. He's had some recent injury issues. He didn't really pitch that great last year. So, um, you know, if there's someone you want to stash, I think Bearclaw is probably one of the better options uh, out there. I ended up with my my top closer, Felipe Rivero, who I think I put as my number three closer. So I was really happy to get him early. So I ended up with two closers in a in a 12-team league. Not ideal. I'd like to get three in that kind of situation. But as I said, I just speculated on Bearclaw. And, and who knows how situations will play out as, as spring training moves along. So at least I got two I felt pretty good about. I wanted to mention Ronald Acuna. He went 89th overall, which I think if, you know, you're a hardcore fantasy player, you'd probably be willing to roll with that. 89th yep. sounds pretty good to me, honestly. Um that's assuming he'll be with the Braves after maybe the first few weeks of the season, maybe at the latest. Um someone who can make an across the board impact and I think there's going to be high expectations for him right away with that kind of price tag. I think people are going to expect him to be a top 20 outfielder probably um but he could be that guy i'm i'm pretty excited about him and i think at that point in the draft if it doesn't necessarily work out i don't think it kills your team uh so i think that's a that's a pretty nice price tag yeah super young but a potentially five tool guy who really just looks majorly ready and and in more like um intense fantasy baseball drafts he's going in the 70s so to get him if you can get him in 89 you feel really good about that I'm surprised he went that late considering how much the guys in this draft all, all pay attention to to prospects and, and average draft positions. Yeah, late we saw a lot of speculation on prospects, not surprisingly. Uh, Kopech, I believe you took Kopech, right? I um, did, yep. Gleyber Torres, who should be up pretty quickly, if not making the opening day roster. I'm guessing in the minors, probably. Walker Bueller, I think you took him. Yep. Uh, Willie Calhoun, Ryan Boyer took him. Uh, Luis Gohara with the Braves, who I like a lot. Had a minor kind of groin issue, but it looks like he's over it and should be okay. Um, so those are all nice values. David Dahl with the Rockies, someone we shouldn't forget about. He was at pick 247, so that's a really nice value. Someone who a year ago was a popular breakout pick. Uh, of course, he missed the entire year, basically. Um, but I think he could be a nice bounce-back candidate. Steven Piscotti was at 268, someone I like a lot this year. So just really nice depth in this draft, guys, to take a shot on late. Yeah, and, and your pick of Ryan McMahon at 251, I think, was a really good one, too. Um, and Kyle Tucker, uh, I think Roto Pat took him with the, the very last pick of the draft at 276. Probably not going to make a huge impact this year, but who knows? I mean, injuries could clear the path, and he's someone who's already having a big spring. Um, just looks like a polished hitter at, at a young age. 
um, has, has already put up really exciting numbers in the minors. He, he's an Astros prospect, I guess I should add. So that's why there's not really a clear path for him yet. Yeah, I wish there was an opening for him, but he, he looks like long term. He looks like a really promising prospect. I have him in a couple of dynasty leagues and I can't wait until he gets his shot. Uh, Dexter Fowler, another one I liked at pick 249, uh, should hit leadoff, right? With the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, probably regularly, and and he hit a career high in home runs last year, even though he missed a bunch of time. Um, if he has better health, I think he'll he'll be great. Miles Mikolas had a really rough first start, right? Um, yeah, he did. Does that scare you at all, or is he someone you no. still take a shot at? Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, it doesn't. Okay. I, I, he he looked bad, man. His fastball looked so flat, hmm. but you know it's. He it would that start happened on what February twenty fifth, um or no it was like February twenty third, so no I, I don't I'm not worried about it. We'll see what happens. I, I keep pitches on on tomorrow when this podcast will will hit the airwaves, and then maybe we can re- overreact to that next week. Okay. Adrian Beltre is is a guy I think he was falling too far in drafts. He went one fifty one in this one. I, I guess it's understandable given the the age and durability, but. You know, as I wrote in my write-up, if if you want to get it and get the draft guide, I did kind of notes on on every round and, and guys who I liked and picks that I didn't like. Um, but 151, I think, I mean, the the pros outweigh the cons there. He, you know, he was hugely productive last year when he wasn't on the DL, um, and I, I don't see any reason why he can't be productive again, even even though he's you know reaching up towards age 40. Um, one last person I want to talk about, Greg Holland. Um, I saw a rumor this week about potentially the Angels being interested, which would be really interesting. Um, I don't know how serious that is about potentially coming together. I know we've also heard some rumblings about the Cardinals. Uh, what's the sense on that, you think? I don't know. No, no one's saying anything. I mean, I think the teams that like him... Um, are aware that he was not the same pitcher in the second half last year and are just comfortable waiting until his asking price you know, falls more in, into an area where they're comfortable. I mean, he probably wants a Wade Davis-like deal, but that was signed pretty early in the offseason, and he's just not going to get it. Yeah, he was selected 194 in this mock draft. I think when he si- if and when he signs with the team and ends up being a closer, he's probably going to be you know, top 15, top 20 closer very comfortably, I'd say. Uh, but still so many questions about where he's going to end up. And uh, he was one of those qualifying offer free agents. So not only does it cost money, but it costs a draft pick. It costs the money associated with that uh, international signing bonus money. So um, those are all things to keep in mind for teams. And, and like you said, after the second half he had last year, I, I do understand some of the hesitation. Um, Byron Buxton, a guy who had a, a big day in the Grapefruit League on Wednesday, went 40th overall. Um, I think, I don't know, is that high? Is that? I think it depends on, on what you want your roster to look like. I, I, you know, I, I, like, for example, I had Billy Hamilton, so I was like, ah, I don't really want to get another speed guy right now. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, if I needed one at that point in the draft, I probably would have taken him, you know? So uh, I think it just all depends. Uh, I am yeah. sort of all in based off of what he did after he had that terrible April and, and really bounced back, especially during the second half. He, he really looked like a different player. He looked like the dynamic player we've been expecting for really a few years now. Um, so I, I'm a, I'm a believer to an extent. And I think the speed gives him kind of a safe floor, even if like 
he isn't exactly what he was down the stretch last year, but the way he plays so aggressively also makes me a little nervous from an injury perspective. Yeah. Um, should we stop giving away the, the results of this draft? Okay. <laughs> that works for me. Uh, again, yeah, go to yeah, buy the draft guide, man. buy the Come draft on. guide, check it out. We're, we're actually doing an NL only mock draft, uh, tonight, Wednesday night. Um, and full analysis of that will be in the draft guide as well. Um, so please go to rotorworld.com, check it out. Um, we'll be doing this all during spring training. Try to keep it as timely as possible. We'll probably do another mock draft uh, on this podcast before the spring's out as well. So uh, so that will do it for this week. Uh, if you like what you're hearing with this show, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., and also rate and review if you don't mind. That would be a big help as we try to spread the word about the show going into the season. So thank you for that. Thanks for those who have uh, reviewed the show. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at DJ Short. Drew is at Drew Sill. And we'll see you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.